0: Um, really quick, would you give it up to the worship team one more time? They just do an awesome, awesome job. I just appreciate um, the fact my, my dad was here last week, if you weren't here, and uh, he spoke, and I'll talk about that in a second. But he, he just says, I don't understand it. You guys just are incredibly blessed with just um, gifted musicians and people who just deeply love the Lord. He That's one of his comments he always comes away from, other than the fact that we're just such a um, loving and welcoming and warm people. But he said, man, I would kill. Can I steal your people from you? And I said, no, you cannot. Um, but I just love it. Hey, there are multiple ways to give here at South Creek. You'll see up on the screen, um, that you can give obviously here in person. You also can go, uh, online to our, our website and there's a safe, secure place, uh, where you can give. And uh would, would encourage you, too, if you call South Creek your church home and you want to be um, in on the mission, I would highly um, encourage you. You also see there's a, a number where you can text to give. I'd highly encourage you to consider the idea of setting up some sort of automated giving, to just trust God with your first fruits. And uh, let me give just one small housekeeping type of note to um, you, especially if you do use our online giving platform First of all, thank you so much because during a winter that has been difficult, it has been incredibly helpful to just keep us in a good financial place. Would love to always let you know, too, though, that part of the online giving uh, requires a fee. Um, now, we cover a lot of the costs. There is an opportunity for you to even choose to cover a cost. But would love to maybe put out there in your mind, because I'm sure when you give the money, your hope is that it goes most directly to the ministry itself. There's different options. You can use either a debit or credit card, or you can use something that's called a, I believe it's an H, uh, or a AHC, something like that. And it's basically a transfer from your bank. It's completely secure. It's great. That's what my family does. Here's a really cool thing. When you do that, it only takes $0.25 cents away from the transaction. If you do through a credit card uh, or a debit card, it'll take a certain um, right off the top plus a percentage. So I'd highly encourage you, if you're already doing that, don't, like, stop doing what you're doing. But if you want to go in and maybe edit it so that way the most of the funds you're giving go directly towards our ministry, Just thought I'd give that out there as a little bit of a point of educational thing. I didn't really realize that until uh, me and my family had made the switch recently. So, again, thank you so much for giving. Hey, really quickly before we dive into the message, everyone grab out your bulletin, and in your bulletin you're going to find something called a connection card. We'd love for you just to take like 30 seconds and fill this out. This is the best way we know how to be able to communicate with you. You can let us know if uh, you consider this your church home or maybe this is one of your first or second times uh, coming. Uh, let us know. Maybe you've changed your address or your phone number. On the back, you'll find a place where you can put things like um, prayer requests or if you want to sign up for one of our email mailing lists like for prayer requests um, or just different kind of events that are happening here at church. You can let us know maybe you want to take a new step in your faith with Jesus. Maybe you've uh, rededicated your life. Maybe you want to know more about baptism. Uh, you also, uh, if we, Dan talked about how next Sunday we have our Creekside chat. If you're interested in that, you can sign up uh, via this too and just write in the response to the message section on the back, uh, Creekside chat. Um, when, you're, when service is over... You can take it to either there's different baskets at different exits, or if this is your first time here, you've never turned in one of these, you can go ahead and take this to the Connection Center, which is the desk out to the right in the lobby. Uh, we have a gift for you today if you're here for the first time and you turn one of these in. Rumor has it that it is a co-Big Ten Championship t-shirt, Michigan State and per- Purdue. Now, all I'm saying is... Who is the number one seed in there? I don't know. I know a lot of you IU people want to tell me something about brooms and sweeping, but listen, we got the hardware, okay? So uh, that's good. Just kidding. We don't actually have those, I don't think. If we did, that would be a surprise to me. We do have uh, a gift I'm not going to tell you, but we also have these journals. Dan mentioned these before. How many guys already have a journal? If you, good. How many guys got in your journal this week? It's good stuff, isn't it? So, Here's an awesome thing. These are free of charge for you if you're new here. If uh, if this is your church home, we ask if you'd consider giving a $5 donation to help cover uh, the cost of this. But uh, during this season of what oftentimes is referred to as Lent, uh, we are, are kind of preparing ourselves leading up to Easter Sunday. And uh, we're in this new series called The Kingdom. And part of that is means that we are joining with 15 other churches around the uh, the country, who are different sister churches and brother churches, I guess, whatever you want to call it. And uh, we're doing these journals. And the cool thing about the journal is it gives you a daily devotional. And if you've ever been like, man, I want to grow in my relationship with Jesus, but I don't know where to start, this is an awesome way to begin some sort of time. This literally takes five, ten minutes tops each day. Again, you can even set it by, you know, your throne room, if you know what I'm talking about, the porcelain throne. And uh, you can do it while you're there. No judgment. Just wash your hands and all that. Um, and, uh, but it's awesome. It gives you scripture to read questions to, to kind of process things through and even ways to pray. Uh, and it's really awesome. And and even if you already are like, listen, I have my Bible reading plan. I do every single day. I can't. This does not take that much time, and the cool thing is it helps take what we're talking about here on Sunday and kind of like, I, I don't know about you, but to me this time of year, I love like crockpot meals and like stews, and there's something about when when the flavors are just in there for a long time and it marinates and it's just like so good. Even like anyone else love chili like the second day after it's been like in there for a while. It's like that. There's something about when when you're just kind of marinating this in your heart about what we're talking about. I just think God can do some amazing things through it. So make sure you get one of these. Uh, They're really awesome. And just even if you have to do, if if you're a person who's undisciplined like me, you know what, set an alarm on your phone for a certain time and say journal time. So that way you know you're going to make it happen. And it'll be awesome. Well, like I said, we are in this series called The Kingdom. And this is a series that we're going to be in up until Easter. And I am so excited uh, about this series. I'm so excited to be back teaching. I want to say thank you again. Uh, just for letting me and my family kind of have a break. I've been a few weeks out of uh, the rotation of teaching, but I have just been fired up about this series and this message. Last week, my dad, uh, who is also a pastor, did a phenomenal job. If you missed the message, you should go online and uh, check it out. But he, he uh, started off this kingdom series for us talking about how Jesus... Began to proclaim that the kingdom was near and he didn't do it in this large huge city It wasn't this new york or london or tokyo some sort of large city. It was this small little nowhere community uh, In between uh, nowhere and somewhere no one knows And it was there that he began to preach this message of repent for the kingdom of god is here And it was this beautiful message about this reality that repentance is not this bad thing, but it's this good thing. It's not about what you're turning away from, but it's about who you're turning to, and that's Jesus. Now, the kingdom, as we're going to talk about over the next few weeks, is this concept that Jesus talks about throughout his ministry. You know, what's really interesting is oftentimes here in the United States, we oftentimes have have kind of grossly misunderstood this idea of Christianity. Oftentimes, we have grown up in a culture in churches at times where we think of Christianity, we think of Jesus being all about this idea of, all right, I was going to this place called hell someday, but if I believe in Jesus, that's, that's what I get. And, and, and again, that's not, not true. That is true. But we've, we've stuck so much into this idea of this future hope. And we've missed out on the reality that Jesus, when he talks about the kingdom of God, He doesn't talk about it just as this far-off imaginative destination. He doesn't sit and say, listen, your life is basically going to be the worst in the world. You have no hope. Good luck until you make it to heaven. But in reality, the vast majority of his message is this message of love and this message of this idea of a kingdom, God's kingdom, that is different than the concept of kingdoms that we've typically thought about. And for us during this series, we're going to have to do a little extra work, because let's be honest, like, we grew up with U.S. history where, like, kings are the worst, right? Like, as a kid, I feel like I wasn't even around in the Revolutionary War, but I was like, King George, the guy's a loser. He taxed us, right? You know, we we have this kind of weird, can, can we be real, though, for a second? We have this weird sort of, like, relationship with royalty, right? Like, we're all about, like, down with the monarchy, we get to do this, like, we beat you guys in in the Revolutionary War, but we're also the people who, like, wake up, at like four in the morning to watch a royal wedding. I don't understand this like weird relationship. Like we don't want it, but we think it's really... Anyways, that's all to be said. But in the kingdom, we find out that Jesus is the king. And uh, this morning, I thought it would be interesting to show a video at the forefront. As we're um, this morning, we're gonna we're gonna kind of look at this idea of a bit of a manifesto, this this sort of crash course that Jesus gives on this idea of the kingdom and what it looks like to live within the kingdom. Uh, but there's this really really cool um, ministry called the Bible Project. And the Bible Project, it's really awesome. You can find it if you use like the traditional Bible. App that I think is called Uversion. There's some of their videos that are on there and uh, they're they're a free resource. Also, if you look at our um, right now media, if you don't know about right now media, imagine a Netflix of kind of like Bible studies and things like that. And uh, if you want to get in on that, if you go to our website, uh, you can sign up for a free account. There's even kids stuff. Um, but anyways. The Bible Project is this really great uh, ministry, this tool of uh, these kind of scholarly Bible nerdy guys who put together essentially these cartoons uh, that help kind of give some concepts of Scripture, of theology. And, and theology really is just this idea of thinking about God. And everyone is a theologian, whether you like it or not, because everyone has their own thoughts on who God is, how he operates. But I found this video on the kingdom of God that I thought might be helpful to Uh, For us at the beginning of this series to really think through so check out this video real quick
1: There's this beautiful poem. It's in the book of Isaiah.
2: The city of Jerusalem has just been destroyed by Babylon, a great kingdom in the north. And all of these Jewish people, they've been sent away into exile. But a few remained in the city. And they're left wondering, what just happened? Has our God abandoned us? Right, because Jerusalem was supposed to be the city where God would reign
1: over the world to bring peace and blessing to everyone.
2: Now Isaiah had been saying that Jerusalem's destruction was a mess of Israel's own making. They had turned away from their God, become corrupt, and so their city and their temple were destroyed. Everything seems lost. But the poem goes on. There's a watchman on the city walls. And far out on the hills we see a messenger and he's running towards the city. He's running and he's shouting, good news. And Isaiah says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring Good news. Beautiful feet? Yes. The feet are beautiful because they're carrying a beautiful message.
1: What's the message?
2: That despite Jerusalem's destruction, Israel's God still reigns as king, and that God himself is going to one day return to this city, take up his throne, and bring peace.
1: And the watchmen sing for joy because of the good news that their God still reigns.
2: Now in the New Testament, we find this same phrase, the good news. It's the Greek word euangelion, and it's also sometimes translated with the word gospel. Yeah, so when Christians say, do you believe the gospel? They mean, do you believe the news? But not just any news. In the Bible, this phrase is always about the announcement of the reign of a new king. And in the New Testament, the Gospels use this phrase to summarize all of Jesus' teachings. They say that he went about proclaiming the good news of God's kingdom.
1: So Jesus saw himself as the messenger bringing the news that God reigns.
2: Yes, but the way that he described God's reign, it surprised everybody. I mean, think, powerful, successful kingdom. It needs to be strong, able to impose its will, able to defeat its enemies. But Jesus said the greatest person in God's kingdom was the weakest the one who loves and who serves the poor. And he said that you live under God's reign when you respond to evil by loving your enemies and forgiving them and seeking peace. This is an upside-down kingdom. Now, Jesus
1: also said that this kingdom was arriving with him.
2: Yeah, so for example, there's this really interesting story where there's a high-ranking Roman officer and he comes to Jesus begging him to heal his servant. And he even calls Jesus his Lord, acknowledging that Jesus is his authority. Jesus praises this man for recognizing what no one else yet had. That not only was Jesus announcing God's kingdom, he was the king. And so the word gets out that this Jewish man from
1: Galilee is talking and acting like he's the king of Israel. He's appointing 12 disciples, which are an image of Israel's 12 tribes. He's healing people, forgiving people their sins.
2: And all of this so threatened Israel's leaders that they finally decide to have him killed. And Jesus let them. Yeah,
1: which is a weird thing to do if you're trying to become king.
2: That's right. But for Jesus, this is what had to happen. Jesus saw the sin and the devastation of his people Israel as just one small part of the entire human condition. How all humanity has rebelled against God, resulting in the tragedy and devastation of our whole world. So how is God going to bring his reign over such a world? Jesus believed it would be through an act of sacrificial love for his enemies. This is why in the Gospels, Jesus' crucifixion is depicted as his enthronement as the king of the Jews. Yeah, he receives a crown. He also receives a robe. He's exalted up, not onto a throne, but onto the cross.
1: How beautiful are the feet that bring good news.
2: And the good news now is that Jesus has defeated death and that he reigns as king. That he's dealt with our sin and corruption himself and that he's conquered it with his life and with his love.
1: And then Jesus sends his followers to
2: go out and keep announcing this good news of the upside-down kingdom. And to invite everyone to give their allegiance to him, the king who defeated death
0: with his love. How beautiful are the feet that bring good news? I think that's a cool video. It, it really helps kind of take some of this idea of um, when we when we sometimes try to dive into the Old Testament, some of it can be really um, hard, right? Because some of these books of prophecy they're large and they can be confusing, and if you don't have all this context, so we would highly encourage you to check out the Bible Project sometime if you you know venture into reading some sort of book and you're like, I have no idea what this means. Um, Truth be told, I have a Bible degree, and I do it all the time because um, it's really helpful. But I love what they talk about this concept of an upside-down kingdom. Imagine this. How many? Some of you guys are going to have some trauma after this. But imagine if I told you that you were going to have to go back in time uh just to restart middle school. Now, if you're like me, I'm like, ugh, no offense, middle schoolers. But imagine if I was going to tell you you're going to have to go back in time and be in middle school. And I was to tell you, I want you to figure out the worst advice you could give a kid to make sure that they, uh, you know, kind of get picked on and, and get bullied and, and, and they become kind of this lower part. You know, we'd probably tell them, like, stand out in a crazy, annoying way, right? Be way different. Allow people to, to kind of walk all over you. You know, the, the cultural ideas of what we typically think of as good, as powerful, as being kind of strong are not exactly what we find in scripture, right? I mean, there's this reality that most of us probably grew up in, in a household, and I'm not condemning all these things because I was kind of too, but like, all right, if you get hit at school, make sure you hit them back as hard as you can so they'll never do it again. We've grown up oftentimes in a culture that says stuff like, hey, if you want to be accepted and you want to be good, don't stand out too much, right? Don't be too weird. Don't be uh, that person, right? There's there's this reality that oftentimes, if you want to kind of raise up the rank in the middle school sort of threshold, you need to be the most kind of the same like everyone else, but just maybe a little bit better looking at it. You want to say the same things as everyone else, but just maybe a little bit better. You want to be just like everybody, but just a little bit better, Right? There's this reality that in some ways, if you want to fit in, you must look like everybody else, but just a little bit better. The interesting thing is, though, that as Jesus came into the world, as he proclaimed the kingdom of God, as he proclaimed himself, although he didn't really proclaim himself as king, I should say, but as he was proclaimed as king, there's this reality that Jesus began to teach a new way of life that was so counter to the rest of the world. You know, when the Israelite people were expecting a king and a new kingdom, they thought that it was going to be this powerful military force that was just going to come in and wipe out the Romans, and they would be once again this powerful military just giant. And that is how God would redeem the world. And the reality is is that Jesus' kingdom was not that way at all. Jesus began this upside-down kingdom. If you were to read in the Gospel of Matthew, you, uh, chapter 5, you would find this, 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 this sermon known as the Sermon on the Mount in which Jesus gives kind of his most exhaustive teaching on this idea of what the kingdom of God would look like and what God's, uh, the people within God's kingdom would be like. And he begins by teaching this thing called the Beatitudes. Maybe you've heard of it before. And it's so weird. It, I don't really like it. It's, you know, it says stuff like, blessed are those who are meek. That doesn't make sense in our culture if you're a meek we say toughen up right it says blessed are those who are poor that's not that's not what we think right it says blessed are those who mourn it says all of these things that are the counter to what we believe and yet we understand as we dive in more that what jesus is beginning to say is because there's this reality that when we give up the power, the privilege, the riches of this world, and we begin to just fully buy into Jesus as king and his kingdom, we realize that all of the things that is valued in this world is rubbish. It's garbage in comparison to what it is to be a part of the kingdom of God. And we begin to have to reframe our minds. This morning, if you have a Bible, you can open up to the gospel of matthew chapter 5 and we're going to start first in verse 13 this morning I want to talk just a little bit about this idea of all right if we buy into this idea that jesus is Lord that he is the messiah that he is the king and we want to be a part of his kingdom What does it look like to begin to live as a citizen of the kingdom? What does it mean for us to be a part because there's this reality that in every kingdom in every country? there are sort of these these, these, these ideas, there are these values that we must uphold and we must follow through on. You know, here in the United States we have things like the Bill of Rights and we, we believe in, in holding up things like the Constitution and the pursuit of happiness and the freedom of speech and, you know, all of those sort of things. And in reality, there is this same sort of thing. And, and, and if you have a chance this week, I would highly encourage you. I think some of it will be in the journal. But if not, just read read the Sermon on the Mount. It doesn't take that long. And maybe read it a couple times and just let it kind of marinate in for you. But partway through, after Jesus teaches about these beatitudes, all these things that as you're hearing them, you're thinking, whoa, 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 whoa. No, it's not good to be meek. It's not good to mourn. It's not good to be poor. It's not good to uh, you know, hunger and thirst. He finishes it up by doing this teaching that many of you maybe have heard before, in which he talks about salt and light. So he begins by saying this. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. All right. I'm really passionate about this this idea of the best way for us sometimes to understand Scripture is to get a little bit more context behind the time, the audience, the people that Jesus was teaching to. So for us, when we think salt, we just think like those cool little um, McDonald's salt packets, right, that have the cool little M shape, and um, we think of salt primarily in food. But salt in ancient culture had three main uh, kind of uses for it. It was used to purify, preserve, and to provide taste. Purify, preserve, and provide taste. In the fact of purifying, it was something that was seen as just sort of this beautiful, pure uh, thing within uh, the world that we got from nature. It was obviously white, which always has seemed throughout culture to be sort of this pure, colorless Thing. It was something that was used oftentimes, too, in preservation of food. You know, is how before they didn't have refrigerators like we have now. And so they would use salt as a way to preserve the food and keep it in this pure way. Because there's this reality that, uh, you know, how many of you guys have ever seen meat go bad? It's not pretty, right? It's pretty stinky. It's pretty gross. Um, anyone ever ate bad meat? It's bad stuff. But there's this reality that salt... Part of its job is to be something that is pure, that helps things stay uncorrupted. And when Jesus is teaching about this idea, he's talking to the Israelite nation in particular. You see, throughout the Old Testament, oftentimes it was talked about that the Israelite people were supposed to be the salt of the earth. That they were supposed to be this people group That God had a special relationship with. That was going to really live in relationship with God. They were going to live a holy life. Holy just means set apart. That was going to be different than the rest of the world. And that it would keep this purity within the world. That as the rest of the world may be corruptible. That there may be different bad things going on. That the purity of the salt would continue to keep something good. And something preserving about God and his relationship with his people. But the reality is, is that the Israelite nation failed. Fact over and over through many different opportunities, they continually failed. And so when Jesus begins his new kingdom, he continues on and he begins to basically say that if you are a part of the kingdom, it has nothing to do with a people group that you are a part of. It doesn't have to do that you are a Jewish person or not. That if you are a part of God's kingdom, you too are called to be the salt of the earth. That there is something about you that should be pure. It should be different than the rest of the world. And that there should be a preserving factor about it. You know, we believe in this reality that there is an eternity. That there is a place that is called heaven. There is a place called hell. And we believe that there is this reality that how we live our life now will affect that. And there is this reality that if we do not buy into that, that we are going to spoil someday. And so when Jesus calls his followers, he calls us as citizens of the kingdom to be the salt of the earth. Our job is to be different than the rest of the world. You know, there was a time period, especially here in, in the United States in church culture, where we had been so different to a point where we had taken our holiness, our set-apartness, and we had swung towards legalism, towards this place of judgment where we are holier than now. that I think what has happened out of a bad way, it's kind of like when people drive in the snow, right, and they forget what it's like to drive on snow and ice, and they begin to go one way that they shouldn't, and they do the bad thing sometimes, right? They try to overcorrect. You know, I think there's been this reality that in some ways, out of a great heart of trying to reach people. We as the church sometimes have tried to swing the wheel back the other way and say, look, we're not that much different than you, right? We sing music kind of like you, and uh, we wear clothes like you, and by no means am I like calling us to become like an Amish commune or like cult-like people, but there's this reality that guess what? If we look and act and talk and live just like everybody else, then what does our gospel even mean? Does it even matter? We've lost our saltiness and not like salty, like mean or bad or or pricey. But we get to this point where if people look at our lives, is there anything noticeably different about our lives, about the way that we live, about our relationships, about the way that we handle our finances, the way we handle conflict management, things like that? Is there anything about us that actually is better or different than the rest of the world? In some ways, I'd argue that we've done a really good job of just trying to blend in. And in many ways, we've actually done a bigger disservice. Now, again, that doesn't mean we need to, like, walk around with, like, I love Jesus shirts all over and just shove things in people's faces. But there's this reality that, in some ways, sometimes doing those sort of things is easier than actually living the upside-down kingdom. Sometimes it sounds a lot easier to... Um, share within 30 seconds that I believe in Jesus so that I'll be blessed on Facebook than it is to actually love my neighbor. And that's why it's difficult. Now, the third part, though, of salt's uh, sort of value is the same that we still have today. It provides taste. I'm going to be honest, guys. I absolutely hate when I eat food that is not properly seasoned. Anyone with me? Like, do you just like what's the point of eating some food if you don't use the, the seasoning? Now, don't don't hear me wrong there's also sometimes where you're overdoing it right where it's like listen if like there's this burnt coating of what used to be herbs like you've missed the point right you've overdone it but man isn't there just something so satisfying about like when you get some like french fries and they're just like perfectly salted or like popcorn let's be honest who wants to eat popcorn without salt like literally the only reason we eat popcorn is so we can have butter and salt on it am i right Let's just be honest. There's no real great value to it. Otherwise, if some of you are sitting there like, well, I like it without salt. Well, I'm sorry. If your doctor told you you had to do that, listen to them. But otherwise, you know you want it to just be doused in salt. There's something about, about, about the way that flavors um, just amplify something. They make things better. It's same with things like chicken. Like I feel like not that long ago when I was sick, I ate chicken without really any seasoning. And I was like, this is disgusting, like, I need I need the things that are going to enhance it and make it better and make it more flavorful. There's this reality that we as followers of Jesus, we as citizens of the kingdom, there should be something about us that when people leave us, when they leave our presence, when they're in relationship with us, there should be something that they leave saying, that's good. I like that. You know, I think we've sometimes made this us versus them mentality where we've bought into this idea of, man, these generations have just grown up and they just don't care about the church anymore and they don't love Jesus and, and, and we've done all this, but there's this reality that I wonder sometimes if people have gotten a bad taste in their mouth from people who claim to be followers of Jesus. I don't know about you, there's been certain foods that I've eaten before that maybe they weren't that bad, but when I had them, I had a really bad experience with them. Maybe I threw up afterwards. And I never really wanted them again. I I oftentimes wonder if people have experienced people who proclaim to be followers of Jesus. And there's something about them that just doesn't sit right. And it's not just because they're caught in their sin. It's not just because they've lost this value of a deity. But I wonder oftentimes if it's because we aren't really living the kingdom of God the way that Jesus intended us to. Because I believe in my heart of hearts, that the reason why Jesus' kingdom advanced at the, at the get-go was there was something different about Jesus and his Christ followers that people thought, this is amazing, I want that. And we've all met people like that, right? There are people that you encounter that you just say, I want that. I don't, and sometimes you don't even know what it's like, but there's something about someone's relationship with God that they are so in sync that you just almost become jealous for it because there's something uniquely different about them. There's this reality that, yes, Jesus also did teach that, yes, the, the world will hate you because of me. But man, I don't think that means everybody. I really think there is something about us. There's something about when we're truly living the kingdom of God, when we're truly living in sync with Jesus, that there's something that if we're living in a world where we are trying to consume things that are going to make us not feel empty, not broken, that when we see someone who isn't broken, that is healed, that is restored, that is no longer a slave, there's something attractive about that. There's something that makes you want that. Now, Jesus goes on and he continues Uh, In in, in, uh, Matthew chapter uh, 5 verses 14 through 15 or 16, he says this. He says, you are the light of the world. A town on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, I absolutely love this concept. To me, when I when I think of all of Scripture, my favorite Scriptures to read, my favorite kind of theme throughout Scripture is this contrast between light and darkness. Because let's be honest, we all understand it, right? We all understand what it's like to be in the dark as a kid and the lights to be turned off. And there's this reality that there's something about the darkness that oftentimes is is kind of eerie. There's something that is... Un, um unsettling we don't really like the darkness and there's this reality that if we go back to the very beginning of time we find that in the beginning uh, jesus was there we find that in the gospel of math or the gospel of john and we find that jesus calls himself at one point the light of the world but we find that at the beginning of the story of creation the the the, the universe the world whatever you want to call it is formless and it's just dark And then God creates light. Light truly is just uh, the, the, uh, or darkness, I guess I should say, is truly just the absence of light. And there's this reality that as followers of Jesus, we have been called into a dark world to be a light. And as a light, we are to push back the darkness. That where the light comes, darkness cannot prevail. You know, there's this reality that light was created to remove the darkness. Jesus came to remove the darkness from the world. He came to defeat death and sin. But there's this reality that he handed off the baton to his followers to say, Listen, I want you to make the rest of the world here be more like my kingdom in heaven. I am calling you to take on the darkness, to shine the light in the dark places, where you see darkness in this world, I want you as followers of Jesus not to cower back, not to leave it alone and say that that's already dark, but to charge forward light to so that way it is taken away. I love, love, love this quote that I read recently that I think is just a great, great um, quote and draws kind of things in. And um, you know, as I'm going to read, I'm going to invite the band back up because they're going to close out in a song in just a minute. But it just says this. It says, we draw people to Christ Not by telling them how right we are and how wrong they are, but by showing them a light that is so lovely that they can't help but ask the source of the light. I love that quote because I think it really gets at the heart of what Jesus is calling us as followers of Jesus, as followers of him to do. Yes, we're there to dispel the darkness. Yes, we're there to to, to shine a light upon injustice and sin in our world. But there's also something about us. There's something about the light. And the light is Jesus because he proclaimed that he is the light of the world. That there's something so beautiful about it that we can't help but be drawn into it. We can't help but want to know more about it. Because there's this reality that we all can understand this idea of being afraid. We can all understand this idea of darkness and most of us all probably haven't experienced a moment where we have been afraid We have been in the in the dark and eventually someone has came and they turned the light on for us My friend jamie hardy came back from guatemala this week and uh I've had the opportunity to serve in guatemala on a couple mission trips before And uh, I was thinking this morning Uh, she gave me some coffee, which thank you again. And uh, if you ever want to give me coffee, that's fine I'll take it. I love coffee um But it made me think about one of the coolest experiences of any church service I've ever been a part of. Um, When I went to Guatemala, I can remember we visited tons of churches. And some churches were in just kind of normal city areas. And some churches were kind of way out in the boonies, as we like to call it here in Indiana. And this pastor that we were working with uh, pastored six different churches. So this guy was a fisherman. And so he'd fish each morning, and then he pastored six different churches and so they eventually were able to get him a motorcycle so he could drive to him. One of the churches that we went to uh, visit one time was this country church out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, we are talking still kind of a bit more of kind of like a native culture type thing where um, most people don't have kind of homes like we would. They'd be more like hut type things. And we went at night. And these roads, it's kind of freaky because you're in this 15 passenger van that you don't feel confident is going to make it. And you are just hitting all these, like we think we have all these potholes right now here on 26. Like it is just, the road is a perpetual pothole. And you're just going in this, it, 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 through this, just this dark area because there's not the light pollution around there. And I just kind of remember thinking like, man, if I start hearing banjos, like I'm out. Um, and we we get to this place where there's not even really lights on the homes or anything like anything like that. And we get guided to this 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 really just pavilion outdoor pavilion like area. And we are told we we're going to have a church service. But again, I don't see a church building. I don't see lights. I don't really see life or people. And I will never forget just the beautiful scene where uh, we're, we're standing there, and, and some of us have a couple flashlights, and slowly we just start to see people coming out with candlelights with flashlights and all that, and they begin to come together to this place. And by the time we eventually have about 50 or 60 different people standing on this pavilion with tons of lights, it is just illuminated, and there is just something so beautiful. You see, when we got there and the lights came, one of the local people said, we saw the light and we were drawn to want to come see what was going on. There's this reality that if we live a life that is so lovely, That is leaking out the light of christ into this dark world people are going to take notice And I believe they're going to be drawn to it In the gospel of john chapter 13 jesus said this he says a new command I give you love one another as I have loved you so you must love one another by this Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another friends I believe that if we live a life that is marked by the love of jesus towards others then our light will be shining into the dark places. That we truly will be the salt of the world here. And I believe that people are going to be drawn into the kingdom because of it. Not because of our arguments, not because of our sermons, not because of our music, but because of love they will be drawn in. I believe this, that if we are living our life for Jesus, there should be an undeniable draw to him in his kingdom. That if we truly are trying to live after him, That there's going to be something, not everyone's going to like it, because we will have problems. But there's going to be something about us that people are going to say, I want that. Because the reality is, in the upside down kingdom, there is peace, there is joy, there is hope, and there is love when it makes zero sense. It makes zero sense that a person who is grieving has hope, has peace. It makes zero sense that someone who is poor and persecuted has joy. But man, when we're living out those things, what a testimony to the true salt, the true light, to the one true God. My friends, as we are on this journey, would you take seriously the words of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6? But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. In the midst of everything else, just seek him first. That's how you become salt and light. You begin to die to oneself, one's wants, needs. Comfortability preferences, and you begin to do that, because there's this reality: if we as the church cease to be the salt and the light of the world, then we cease to matter. If we look nothing different, if there's nothing about our life that is different than the rest of the world, then we might as well close up shop. It doesn't matter. I'm going to ask you guys to stand, and uh, we're going to sing one more last song, one one last song in response. My hope and prayer is that this morning you realize that even if you don't feel like you're living the kingdom the way that you should, you're not really living a life like Jesus. But Here's the really, really good news about the king. Really, really good news about his kingdom. That he is a king who is merciful and gracious. One who loves you deeply. And you always have a chance to turn things around. You always have a chance to make things right. All you have to do is just turn around and turn to Him. Let's pray. God, I just thank you so much for who you are. And God, I thank you for the reality that, God, you love us so much right where we are. God, in our sin, in our shame, in our brokenness. But God, you love us so much that you don't want to leave us there. That, God, there's something better that you have for us. God, that you want us to be pure, to preserve, to to, to have something that is good You want us to be a light that in the midst of darkness we don't have to be afraid anymore. God, that we can go out there and we can carry that light into this world to help draw others in. God, others who are afraid, who are feeling uh, shame, who are feeling like there's no hope. May we be hope in the midst of the darkness. May we be love in a world that is full of hate. God, this morning I pray that if there's anyone... Here, God, who has never experienced a life-saving relationship with you or maybe who has walked away, God, I pray this morning that they would know that their unfaithfulness does not change your faithfulness. That, God, you are a God who is slow to anger. You are abounding in love. You are faithful and you are good. That they know that all they have to do is confess their sin, confess their wrongdoing, and ask that you would be the king, the Lord of their life. And, God, that heaven would be throwing a crazy party for them in this moment. God, as we sing this song, would you speak to us and would we listen? God, would we receive whatever you have for us? God, we love you and we thank you. God, may we be the salt and the light in this world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.